Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, I know we hear it every week. We see them up here every week, but man, I got to tell you what, you guys are awesome. We have a fantastic praise and worship team, do we not? Wow, they're great. And to think, just a group of people who have said, this is what God has blessed me with. I want to use it for his church, and I want to use the gifts that he's given me for his glory. And that's what we're going to look at today. So this morning, we're beginning a new series titled Entrusted, as Pastor Walt mentioned. And we'll be looking at biblical stewardship, what it means, how it applies to us in our Christian walk. And while looking at biblical stewardship, of course, we're also going to begin to focus on what the Bible has to say about our finances and what God has given to us. Now, discussing finances can sometimes be kind of tricky, right? So what I'd like for you to do is um, log into your bank account or take out your most recent pay stub, and we're just going to pass them around and kind of break the ice a little bit. Sound good? No, we're not doing that. So what we are going to do today, though, is discuss what God has entrusted to us and with us, and not in a general sense. We're not going to share with everybody else what it is that we make and how we do, but you know, there is a commonality between what it is that we earn and what we do that we share in this room, and that's if we're Christians, if we've trusted Christ as our personal Savior, if we've made him the Lord of our lives and ask him to lead in all areas of our lives, that includes our finances, right? And that should be something that we share in common. Now, our lives change once we become a Christian. Do you agree? Not only does the matter of where we will spend eternity become finalized with certainty, but we begin to approach every other area of our lives with a new Christ-centered biblical perspective. And our challenge is now to leave behind our old way of thinking, our old values, our old patterns of behavior and habits, and approach them in a way that conforms us more and more to Christ and falls more and more in line with his word. And you know, that applies to our day-to-day decisions, our marriage relationships, the relationships that we have with people in our lives, how we raise children, how we conduct ourselves in our employment, how we conduct our friends with, uh, ourselves with friends and strangers, our responsibility in sharing the gospel, and of course, how we care for what God has entrusted to us. You know, when Scripture talks about that responsibility, it uses the, it, we talk about, uh, when Scripture talks about that responsibility, about what God has entrusted to us, it uses the term Steward, And a steward is one who is responsible for the care and the resources of another that has been entrusted to the steward, an overseer or a manager of someone else's matters. Now, finances are an important topic to God, and it's not a topic that he simply glossed over or didn't want to give us a lot of information about. But in fact, if you look through the scriptures, you see exactly how much time and effort was spent on this. In his book, The Treasure Principle, Christian author Randy Alcorn says this. He says that 15% of everything that Christ said relates to this topic of money and possessions, and that's more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. That's got to be kind of important then, right? So why did Jesus put such an emphasis on money and possessions? Because, folks, there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and how we handle money. Now, the biblical doctrine of stewardship helps to define man's relationship to God, right? So God is the overseer. Man is the manager. God makes man his co-worker in administering all the different aspects of our lives. 
Biblical stewardship is the responsibility that Christians have in caring for and using the gifts that God has given to us. And more specifically, as we're talking about over the next few weeks, how it relates to our finances. God has entrusted to us everything that we have. There's not a single thing that we can look at in our lives and say, well, this came from God and this came from God. That's mine. Um, This came from somebody else. Yeah, the rest of these I can put into the God pile. Folks, it all comes from him. It's such a simple concept, but once we're able to narrow that down, once we're able to figure out where does it all come from, we realize that it all comes from God. Now, this can kind of be a challenging concept to grasp. Sometimes it's a, it's a little more challenging than others, that everything that we have belongs to God. Would anyone in here describe themselves as a type A personality? You don't have to necessarily raise your hands, but if you do, you probably know what I'm talking about. A type A personality is an individual that, among other things, is driven by high achievement and competitiveness and, and self-sufficiency. More often than not, my wife will tell you that I tend to fall into that category. Right? Wake up, go. Let's achieve this and this and this. And I have a list and we're adding to it and we're going to do all these things and do them perfectly. And we just kind of go, right? You know, and so sometimes I have to remind myself that all of these different things that we're able to accomplish, that I'm able to accomplish, man, it's not something that I've done. It's as a result of what God has blessed me with. Something has been done through an ability. Cool. God gave me that ability. God allowed me to use that for his purpose. Well, what do you mean that it all comes from God? Didn't I do the work? Didn't I put in the effort? Yes. But God did the directing, the enabling, and allowed the success to be fruitful, especially when it falls in line with his plans for our lives. Further, since all that we have belongs to the the Lord, that makes us a caretaker, an overseer, a steward of what God has given to us. And as we're discussing today, specifically our finances. So let's look at the why behind all of this, right? So where does it all come from? Does anyone ever else like to ask these questions about where does this come from and how does this work? That's how my brain works. So where does it all come from? Well, we go to work and we put in our hours and our employer issues us a paycheck that represents the hours worked or our salary. And then we take that paycheck to the bank and the bank looks at what's written on the face of the check and they give us funds and deposit them into our account that represents what was on the check. And that, of course, is backed up by the gold standard, right? So we get that in general terms, but... Where does it all come from? You know, that's a big statement to make here is simply this, that it all comes from God, that God is the source of it all. You know, if we're familiar with the biblical account of creation in the book of Genesis, we see that in the very beginning, the Bible says this, that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he didn't stop there, but if you continue to read on through the biblical account of creation, we see that God created literally every other physical thing that we see here, including leading up to you and I. It's all his, folks. We simply have the privilege of caring for it and using it. And, you know, he's given us a pattern to follow and an example that we can use for stewardship. You see, sometimes it's at this point where there's a little bit of a disconnect for us. We know that it's all his, and we understand that we're the steward managers, but often we don't understand fully what that means for us. Or if we do, we start to commit very tentatively with some reservation. In the book of 2 Corinthians, and this will be up on the screen behind you, Paul is again writing to the church at Corinth. And this passage was written at about 55 AD. And Paul is writing to the church to remind them about a commitment that they had made about a year prior to help to raise some money to help support one of the poor churches in Jerusalem. And this passage is from the New Living Translation. And the scriptures say this, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it 
with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Now, let's pause there just for a second, right? Because this verse, man, what a powerhouse. There is so much in this passage just alone. Did you catch what Paul said here? Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Do we grasp what's going on in that statement? Man, I think sometimes, especially for those of us that maybe have been studying Scripture for a while, it becomes easy. I know I do this on a regular basis. I'll see a portion of Scripture and kind of say, yep, yep, I know that part. And I'll go on to find that other, you know, hidden nugget for the day that I'm looking for. But then when I reread that part that I'm more familiar with, I say, well, how didn't I see this before, right? In my Bible, in the book of Proverbs, every time that I find a verse that really just speaks to me, I'll highlight that verse and I'll put the date next to it. And then it's not surprising to go back and reread that passage again and find another verse in that same passage that kind of stuck out to me. So I'll put the date there and I'll put the date there and I think, wow, so I've read this passage over and over for X amount of time, but every time there's something new and something different. And why is that, folks? Because God's word is alive, right? God's word is alive. You know, when we look at this verse here, we see that Christ was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. And you know, there isn't really any evidence to indicate that Christ was any poorer than any of the poor individuals in Palestine during the first century. But what we do see here is what Paul is talking about is that Jesus became poor by giving up his part of the Trinity. Jesus left heaven. He became fully man without sin so that he could offer his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Because even for those of us that are type A personalities, on our best day, there is nothing that we can do to pay that sin debt that we owe, except, except for Jesus' sacrifice, right? Amen. For our sakes, he became poor, so that by his poverty, he could make us rich. That alone is what this all boils down to, isn't it? A sacrifice and acceptance and a change. What we're looking at today in stewardship really begins with a heart that's surrendered to Christ first. Because before we can give him any of our possessions, before we can give him any of our money, we need to give him our heart. We need to make sure that that matter of our eternity is settled once and for all. A, a sacrifice that recognizes uh, that even on our best day, we can never pay that penalty for our sin. I'll tell you what, if you have never once and for all finalize the matter with confidence and certainty of where you'll spend eternity, my prayer for you is that before you leave this place, before you log off on our live stream, that you will settle that matter. Would you talk to one of our pastors, talk to one of our members, talk to me, find somebody and say, how do I know for certain that when this life comes to an end, I spend eternity with Christ? Let's continue on. So Paul continues on here in verse 10. We pick up his words and he says this, here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first uh, to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness that you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving, given proportion to what you have. The Christians at Corinth, they had a strong faith. They had seen some growth. They had some enthusiasm. And Paul's desire for them was that they would also be leaders in their giving. You see, what we do with our finances especially when we give back to God, is a natural response of our love for him. In a couple of weeks, Valentine's Day is coming up, right? Sweetie, I've already ordered your flowers. You're good. In a couple of weeks, Valentine's Day is coming up. And you know, my wife and I have this conversation all the time. We talk about why is it that 
Valentine's Day is promoted in our, in our society as well. I don't have to be really nice to you. I don't have to demonstrate love to you during the rest of the year. But for that one day, I'm going to get you a card, and I'm going to get you flowers, and I'm going to tell you that I love you. That's great. But the fact of the matter is this, folks. We can say that we love somebody all day long. But it's our actions that prove that our love is genuine, isn't it? Amen. And yet, don't get me wrong, I do love my wife. <laughs> it seems that sometimes this is a sticking point for all believers, right? Now, can you imagine being a new or relatively new believer in Corinth at about this time? This is about 20 years after the resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And the believers in Corinth, the church had been founded and they're starting to learn and they're starting to grow. Can you imagine being new believers in there and just kind of having a conversation? Hey, did you know... This Jesus that we've been learning about, I don't know if you know this, but I learned today that this Jesus, he can do anything. In fact, he had walked on water. Yeah, I know, right? Walk on water. Jesus was able to walk on water. Well, did you hear about the time that people were following him to hear his preaching and teaching, and they had been with him all day, and they were hungry? So Jesus' disciples went out to try to find food that they could feed the crowd, but there were so many people. And all they could find was like five loaves of bread and a couple of fish, but Jesus took it, and he multiplied it, and he fed the multitudes, and it was extra. Yeah, I know. And, 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 and did you hear about the time when his friend Lazarus was sick, and Jesus never made it to the house in time, and Lazarus died? So Jesus just, you know, brought him back to life. No big deal for Jesus. I know. This Jesus is amazing. And did you hear about his teachings on finances and what we're supposed to do? Yeah, listen. Um, I can totally get behind him walking on water and feeding the multitudes and even raising the dead. But taking financial advice from him and giving back some of my finances, I have to kind of draw the line there, right? But folks, isn't that where we sit sometimes? It becomes so easy to kind of fall into that position. And really, that's the crux of the matter. Do we really believe what God has to say about the parts that affect us, not only about the parts that affect us generally, but also about the parts that affect us directly and personally and specifically? You know, in the church today, it's so much easier, requires so much less commitment to be a general or casual follower of Christ. And it requires much more commitment to follow him purposefully and closely. How closely are you deliberately choosing to follow Christ this year? And is that in every area of our lives? So this brings me to the first of two points this morning. Our giving, under, uh, our giving represents our understanding that God is the source of all that we have. If you'll take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 22, we're going to start in verse 1. We read the account of Abraham and his son Isaac and the sacrifice that, Isaac, that Abraham was asked to make. Now, Pastor touched on this passage just a few weeks ago, and we're going to spend just a little bit of time here to review what we have. And there is so much that we could draw out on this passage that we could spend the next couple of weeks just here alone. But we're going to focus on just a few different things. So Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1, the scripture says this, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said to him, I said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take, uh, take uh, now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I shall tell to you. Now, if you're familiar with Abraham's story, you'll know that um, Abraham and Sarah, they, man, they had been promised a child, and many, many, many years had gone by. 
so many years that Abraham decided, well, you know what? I think I'm just going to kind of intervene here a little bit because I know God has a plan and I know that he knows what's best and I know that he has a timeline, but I don't know that it's matching quite up with mine. So Abraham intervened and had a child with Sarah's handmaid. And then years later after that, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and he and Sarah were given Isaac. You know, Isaac was the promised, the long-awaited for son. And what makes this even more amazing here is that Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Sarah was about 90 or 91 years old. And I understand we read this in Scripture and say, really? You know, back in this period here in the Old Testament, life expectancies were much longer. It was not uncommon for people to live longer than 100 years old. But this was still challenging for a couple of this age. Impossible today, but still challenging at this time for a couple of this age to have a child. But here it was, Sarah at 91 years old, a mother, Abraham, looking at this baby saying, God fulfilled his promise. And then we fast forward a little bit, right? God, God promises and God always makes good on his promises. We look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So now this is where the story really gets interesting, doesn't it? We have Isaac, the son that had been promised and Abraham and Sarah waited so long for. They loved him dearly. And then God asks just an impossible ask, doesn't he? He says, I want you to take your son and you're going to sacrifice him to me. But that doesn't even make sense. Why would you go through this whole process and give this to me just so that I lose it? So Abraham, Isaac, they take the wood, they, they, they prepare the altar. They, they, Abraham even has the knife in his hand. He arranges the wood. All of this is ready. And I'll tell you what, in raising his hand to sacrifice his son, I'll bet, and I don't see this in Scripture. I'm just thinking if this was me, this is what would happen. I'll bet at this point he's probably saying, okay, God, any time now would be really great for you to intervene. Any time now would be really great for you to show me how this is all going to work together because... What is going on here? What exactly are you going to do? And what is it that you, that's going to happen? And it's here at this point that we get a glimpse into Abraham's heart and into Abraham's obedience. And it's at this point that we see that Abraham had reached a point in his life where he understood and recognized that God was the source of all that he had. It was his job to manage it. God, he recognized that God had given him, him and Sarah Isaac and that he understood his role in caring for what God had given him. Not just his physical possessions, but even his son. Do we understand our role in caring for what God has given to us? Because folks, if we look back a few minutes ago, we already talked about this, that everything that we have comes from him. 
Abraham understood that role so well that he didn't hesitate in obeying when God asked him to sacrifice the son that was promised, the son that he waited for so long, the son that he loved so dearly, he understood that his son belonged to God. Folks, we tend to hesitate, don't we? We tend to hesitate in our Mariah moments when we don't understand that God is the source of all that we have. Not only is God the source of all that we have, but he's also the provider of all that we need. You know, our giving represents that. Our giving represents that God is the provider of all that we need. Let me turn your attention back to Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to verse 11. And in verse 11, the scripture says this, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for I now know that you fear your God, that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, the mount of the Lord, uh, it shall be provided. Now, can you imagine both the relief and the reassurance that Abraham and, and Isaac, right? That Abraham and Isaac both felt at this moment? The relief that Abraham had that he did not have to sacrifice his son. The reassurance that God once again provided. And it's at our Moriah moments that we need to remember these things when we tend to hesitate in our obedience. God will provide. He is the source of all that I have. God was testing the boundaries of Abraham's faith to see how far Abraham would walk in obedience. Would he walk into the unknown and untested territory and remain obedient? He would, and he did. And Abraham's character was strengthened. His commitment was deepened. Abraham loved Isaac. He and Sarah had, 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 had so waited for him for so long, and now God was asking him to give up the thing that he held so dearly. Now, if you're familiar at all with the account of Abraham's life, you know that his obedience had not always been so immediate and so complete or so committed. But over the years, Abraham had learned many difficult lessons about the importance of obeying God. And therefore, this time, his obedience was immediate and complete, even if it didn't immediately and completely make sense to him. Because until he raised that knife... And then God said, stop. It didn't make sense, but he knew what his responsibility was. Everything comes from God. My responsibility is to obey. And Abraham did. And God blessed again. God tests the parameters of our faith with our giving. Do we follow his leading with our giving? Further, do we even seek his leading as we determine what it is that we're going to give? Now, I'll tell you, when my wife and I were married, we had both been... Um, giving on a regular basis, so it really wasn't uh, even a, a question of are we going to give now as a, as a married couple. It just became a matter of, well, this is what God's instructed us to do. This is what we were doing before we were married. This is what we'll continue to do now that we are married. When we understand that God is the source and the provider, it comes from him, and he gives it to us. All that we have, we approach uh, what we do with what we've uh, been given with a new perspective, a perspective of surrender. And this is what it all boils down to, isn't it? The surrender of our lives to God's direction and leading, and this is how we apply this to our lives today. I have two points of application for you today. In a practical sense, we understand that our giving represents our surrender of all of our money. 
That's a big, big ask, isn't it? That's kind of our Isaac. What do you mean, God? You want me to surrender everything that I have? You don't want me to keep any in reserve in case that there's an emergency or a backup plan? Because I got him really good at budgets and making out plans. I can really kind of give you a hand with this. Now, folks, God's not saying, come in this week and deposit your entire paycheck into the offering plate. What God is saying is, I want you to be willing that whatever you have, whatever I've placed in your hand, that you're willing to manage it for me and give it to me and allow me to use it for my purposes. Our giving represents all of our surrender. You know, if you give to the Lord, how do you decide how much to give? Scripture gives a guideline in a few places, but the amount that you settle on, whether 10%, more or less, always starts from a place of surrender. Further, whatever we give should be given first, above, uh, before anything else, and willingly, not begrudgingly or out of duty or obligation. The Bible says this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, starting in verse 9, we read these words. It'll be on the screen here for you. And the Bible says this, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Well, how do we do this? Well, quite simply, it's an act of faith and it's a step of obedience. You know, a few weeks ago at our question and answer uh, meeting that we had regarding our 2023 budget, we were reviewing the finances and reviewing what it was that we had in store for 2023. And uh, Pastor Dave made a comment that really resonated with me. And as he's answering some different questions, he said, you know, these are the goals that we have. But folks, what it comes down to is it really is just an act of faith, isn't it? And I thought, it really is. I mean, think about it. Look around this morning. Look around at the people that are in this room. We come to Christ. We accept Christ. We, we begin to follow him. We conform our lives to him. We say, we want to live our lives in a way that honors you, that is in accordance with your word. We begin to grow as a Christian. We begin to give to support the ministry, not just here, but also abroad. And that continues to grow and continues to happen. And here at Life Source Church, that's happened for over 50 years, and the church goes on. And folks, that doesn't happen by accident. That doesn't happen uh, just per chance, but that happens because this is part of God's plan and we have surrendered to that and we've surrendered part of our finances to give that back to God to support this ministry here. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Why does it matter if I give to God first? Can't I just take care of my other obligations? Say, well, listen, I'm going to take care of all of these bills. I'll take care of living expenses and retirement settled, and I had to make sure the groceries are taken care of. And then, oh, well, there's a little bit left over here after we go out to dinner and after we take care of going to the movies and everything else, well, I'll just give this to God. Ah, look back at Proverbs with me, right? Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. God wants the first part of what we have. Why? Because giving to God first not only demonstrates our true surrender of what we're giving to God, but it also demonstrates that God and not our money or possessions has first place in our lives. Second point that we have here this morning is simply this. Our giving represents our surrender of all of our resources. You know, our giving is an act of worship. It's an act of surrender. And our giving is an indication of our heart's attitude towards God and what he has blessed us with, both money, but also our resources. So let's think about what that looks like for a second. How do we use the transportation that God has blessed us with? The home, the employment, the food, all the different resources that we have. My junior year in college, uh, there was a guy that lived down the hall from me and uh, you know, you're in college, some of us had cars, some of us didn't. Different people would need cars and rides. And the guy that lived down the hall from me, Barry, he would not hesitate in loaning somebody his car. Now, I'm a little particular about my vehicle. I like things a particular way, nice and clean. It's orderly. I'm thinking, I would talk to him and say, Barry, 
people are going to get into your car. You're, you're giving them the keys. What if, they, what if they eat in the car? Or what if, what if they spill something in the car? What if, what if they wreck your car? And he says, Mike, listen, God gave me that car. It's really his. I'm managing it. Whatever he wants done with it, he's going to do. If it wrecks, God's going to provide. And as a 20-year-old college junior, I'd sit there and go, whoa, that's a pretty deep concept to grasp, isn't it? And today, sometimes in the church, that's still sometimes a deep concept for us to grasp. You know, my wife will tell you that as much as I love to eat clean and put an emphasis on healthy nutrition, when it comes time for them, I love my snacks. And I especially love snacks at Christmas time because my wife makes these incredible sugar cookies with frosting on them. And I'm a big proponent of like a 40% cookie, 60% frosting ratio. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, I'm not. So they're kind of amazing. When I was in law school, my wife would send uh, packages of cookies with me up to school so that I could share with my study group. And we would all kind of fight to see if we could get into the sugar cookies first. One of my buddies would say, did, did angels make these? What is this frosting? It's amazing. So there's this story that's told of a woman who was on a business trip. And in between flights, she was at the airport. And so she had rushed over to a Starbucks and grabbed the coffee and grabbed some cookies. And she was going to kind of do a little bit of work in between her flights. And she sat down. And as she sat down, she set up her laptop. And she set her cookies down and her coffee. And she kind of began to work. And she was so engrossed in her emails and in her work that she forgot about the cookies. But then she began to hear this rustling noise. And she looked over. And to her surprise, she saw this very well-dressed business traveler <laughs> reaching over and just kind of helping himself to cookies. And she's looking around going, are you, are you kidding me? So she figured, you know what, not a big deal. I'll just go back to doing my work. And she continued on typing. And then she looked over, and to her shock and amazement, this guy is continuing to eat the cookies. So it gets worse, and she sat there, and she thought, okay, if I can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. I'll just... I'll just keep my mouth shut. They're going to call my flight soon. It's not a big deal. The worst part is that they get down to one cookie left in the package, and the guy takes it, breaks it in half, looks over, smiles at her, pushes the cookie aside, eats the, his half of the cookie, and leaves. She's fuming at this point, absolutely fuming, so much that she almost missed the call for her flight. So she puts her laptop away, and she grabs her half of the cookie, and she has it, and mm, you ate my cookies, she has her cookie, and she grabs her handbag and reaches in to grab her boarding pass, and she finds her package of cookies sitting in her purse. You know, folks, sometimes we tend to hold on so tightly to what we think is ours, and then even get upset when it's not used the way that we think that it should be used. We try to hold on so tightly to what God has asked us to manage, not own, and then we don't want to let go of it when we're supposed to, to use it how God intends. We need to be surrendered to his plan, and that includes the use of our money and our resources. You know, there are a few different perspectives from which our hearts can approach giving. The first is simply this. I have to. It's the law. I have to give. It's not my choice, but I'll do it anyway. The second option is this. Well, I, I guess I ought to. I'm going to church anyway. I'm going to pass the box in the back. I, I ought to put something in. And that's a hard attitude of obligation. I'll do it whether I want to or not. But the third, the third is where I want us to settle on this morning. Because the third says simply this. 
It's not because I have to. It's not because I ought to, but it's because I want to. And that's coming from a position of grace, right? I am willingly choosing to trust God with my giving. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is preparing, is speaking to his disciples. And Jesus had just finished his ministry in the Galilee area, and he's starting to turn his attention towards Jerusalem. And he started preparing his followers for his death. He knew that his crucifixion was coming, and he increasingly made hints about his person, and he was trying to prepare them for his post-resurrection ministry, his coming kingdom. He also talked to them about what it really means to be a believer and a true disciple of his. In the book of Luke, chapter 9, starting in verse 23, we read these words. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? You know, there are at least three conditions that must be met by those who are genuinely seeking and genuinely desire to follow Christ with their lives. And the first is this, be willing to deny self. And denying self means that we are surrendering our lives to the Lord. And oftentimes we hear this in church, but do we understand what that means when we say we are surrendering our lives Do we understand what the entirety of that means? Or are we saying, Lord, I'm going to pick and choose which parts of my life I'm going to surrender? The second part in this passage says this, take up your cross, and that means making a commitment to Christ and identifying with him. God, what you say is not only what I want to do, but I want it to be mirrored in my life. And in point number three, we follow him, and that means that we start to move in a new direction. And this influences and affects our choices and our decisions and our day-to-day lives and includes what we do with our finances and what we have been entrusted with. God has entrusted to us everything that we have for his good purposes, and this includes enabling us to become a generous people. There was a mom who had wanted to teach her daughter a lesson about giving. And she gave her daughter a quarter and a dollar for the offering at church. And she instructed her daughter, she said, listen, I want you to put whichever one you want in the offering and keep the other one for herself. And the little girl understood. So when they were coming out of church, the mother asked her daughter which one of the two she had given. And the little girl said, well, you know, I was going to give the dollar, um, but just before the offering, the pastor said that we should be cheerful givers. And I knew that I would be a lot more cheerful if I put the quarter in and kept the dollar for myself. So I did. Over the next two weeks, I hope that as we continue to look at stewardship, we will evaluate what we're doing with what God has entrusted to our lives. Church, would you pray with me this morning? Father, everything that we have is yours. We kid ourselves if we think that it's really ours. You are the owner, we are the manager, and we thank you for the way that you have richly, richly, richly blessed us. Lord, your word has so much to say about finances and what we are to do with it. And God, I pray that as we continue this series on stewardship, that you'll bless as Pastor Dave and as Dave Melton preach over the course of the next few weeks. God, I pray that our heart as a church is in tune with what you would have done. And God, I pray that you will continue to use Life Source Church as a ministry that reaches people for Christ, that impacts lives, that helps to be a light in an increasingly dark world. And Lord, to do that, we pray that you will bless by working through the finances, through us surrendering to give back to you part of what you have given to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction. We thank you that you, as we read this morning, 
always, always, always provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. That was good, wasn't it? Um, yeah, that's good. So um, I get two questions up front I, I got to ask. And sure. The first one is, what kind of coffee are you drinking on Sunday mornings? None. <laughs> I need to get some of that. Coffee's after church. None before. None before? None before. Wow. Yeah. Second thing, and I think all of these folks here agree with me, how can we get some of your wife's sugar cookies? Yes. Right? Can we get on the list, right? <laughs> Sorry, sweetie. <laughs> okay. Um, so first question here. So you, you, you quoted Randy Alcorn talking about yep. how much Jesus talks about money and uh, you know, more than he talks about heaven and hell and I'm sure many other issues. Um, There's kind of two questions here. Does he need our money or is the real issue something besides money? You know, I think that goes back to what we touched on in the sermon. God doesn't need our money, right? But we talked about that our giving is an act of surrender. And that's really what it comes down to is are our hearts surrendered to him? Because with a surrendered heart, money is just the beginning. What else can God do with that surrendered heart? Yeah, very much so. I know that Glenda and I, in our giving, that that early on, especially we had no money. I mean, we had little money, not much money. But God just... That, that was the, what opened the door to so much spiritual growth because we really learned that God's word was true in the money. We learned that he would keep his promises, right? And we learned the steps of faith that he works in our life. So, yeah, that's good. <coughs> All right. Um, you probably know the answer. But anyway, you said that everything comes from God, right. right? And yet people, if they look at their paychecks, and you mentioned but it has, has some company name on it. Right. So their paycheck coming from that company. How does it come from God if... If it's the company who's giving you the check. It's true, right? Because our employer gives us a paycheck, and it doesn't say on their bank of God, you know, heaven. It doesn't say that on there. But it says that it comes from, uh, it comes from our, our employer. You know, that's what we alluded to in the sermon was that even that employment is a gift from God. You know, Scripture tells us how God has prepared and how he works to put us in particular places and at particular times. And how many times do we, you know, we've seen it here, right? How many times in church do we say, oh, well, pray for me. I'm, I'm applying for this new job. Well, why would we ask somebody to pray because we're applying for a new job if we didn't believe that God had a hand in providing that job, right? Because it all comes from me. He's the one that provides the opportunity for the employment. Right, yeah. No, the opportunity provides us the abilities, yep. the health, the, you know, all we need. So ultimately, when that check comes, that it's, it does come. That's how the Lord has provided that exactly. through many, yep. many means. Yeah, good. Um, all right. Will God ask us to kill our children for him? No. Okay. I don't think he'll ask us to kill. Well, let me take it. I don't think God will ask us to kill no, his children. No, what do you I, think? I, I don't even think. I know he's not going to. Right. Okay. Um, so what was going on there then? I mean, God asking Abraham, or t- not asking, actually telling him, right. right, to go kill your son. What's the deal? You know, as we look back at Abraham's life, there were different points where Abraham should have obeyed, maybe a little bit differently, and he didn't. We go back to uh, even the promise of, of Isaac. We had mentioned that Isaac was promised but you know, God didn't put a timeline on it. He didn't say, I'm promising this to you and it's going to happen tomorrow. He simply said, I'm promising you this. You know that I'm consistent. You know that I'll answer. You know that I'll provide. But Abraham started to get a little antsy. And I think I, 
I tend to get the same way, right? We say that we're patient and sometimes we can get a little impatient and that was an example of impatience there. And so Abraham maybe got a little impatient and instead he decided to take matters into his own hands rather than trust and wait. And what was the second part of that? I didn't ask a second. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, so I mean, I'm thinking about that and we said no, that he wouldn't. But, right. Um, and besides all the really good practical illustrations there, God knew that he wasn't going to have him kill Isaac. Well, we referenced that earlier in the Isaac scripture, right? Isaac didn't know it. Right. I mean, Abraham didn't know it. Isaac didn't know it either. Right. God already knew he wasn't going to have Abraham kill his son. Right. God knew that he was creating a symbol, right, that no, you're not going to die. I'm going to provide a sacrifice. And that's what God did for us when he sent his son, right? But we were the ones who deserved to die. We're the one who deserved to pay the penalty. Instead, God provided Jesus in our place. Yeah. And so, yep. All right, good. So talking about God will provide. How confident can we really be that God will provide? So how confident are we about our eternity? Right? Because it all comes from the same Bible. So it's funny that we tend to myself included, right? We tend to be confident that I know where I'm going to go after I die, but I'm not confident that God might provide for my needs for the next three or four or six months. So I think it comes down to the deeper that our relationship with Christ grows, the more that the, uh, the, the deeper that becomes, the longer that growth is there, that the we, uh, we start to experience that, we start to understand that he's consistent, and we start to realize that we can trust not just the big promises that we really can't control, but even the small ones that we have a hand in managing. All right, um, so a little follow-up on that. So, I mean, God will do what God says he's going to do, yep. right? We can be confident. By the way, you, the only way you, you can learn that intellectually but the only way you really learn it in your life is you have to actually step out and do it, right? And that's where you discover this is real. Here's a question. What if we have foolishly wasted all of our resources? Right. We haven't used our money at all the way God says, and now how confident can we be that he's going to provide? It sounds like a trick question. I'm not trying to... It does sound like trick a trick it. question. <laughs> I think at that, that point, it just becomes a matter of stopping the foolish spending and turning things around and saying, well, God, now I'm going to bring my life and my finances in line with what it is that you would have me to do, and then see where God starts to direct from there. Right. Sometimes because of our choices, we have, we're going to experience hardship, right? And, and God may let us struggle with sure. that, okay? And some things that maybe we think we need, we're going to discover we don't need, Right. And uh, so we can be absolutely confident in God's promises, but we need to um, do what we're supposed to do. It's Dave not Ramsey. conditional, but you know what I mean? We right. need to be. Dave Ramsey talked about that in the financial freedom <laughs> seminar that we had here years ago. He talked about, uh, you know, when we're in a position like that, what to do and how to scale things back and maybe get rid of the things that we think we need, but we just really want or like to be able to meet the needs and then uh, put ourselves back on the track that more aligns ourselves with God's plan for our finances. Right. So here's a question that just came in, and uh, I almost brought it up to you, but I, I think we just need to clarify it. You said God gave up, Christ gave up his part of the Trinity. And let me, I, let me see if I can put words in your mouth. I think you're trying to say is that he left heaven he left heaven, didn't leave earth. part of the Trinity. Okay, right. all right, so that's, that's good. Clear that up, right? He was always the son of God. Always. Okay, good. All right, um, last question here. 
this is really kind of where we're all living. How do we get to the want to give? We had the lob, you know, or we required to, we had the obligation. How do we get to the want to? How do we get to that denial of ourselves and the cross and following? I think for me that goes back again to what we looked at with Abraham, right? Because I don't know that Abraham necessarily would have wanted to sacrifice Isaac. At first, God said, hey, listen, so I promised you the son, and I know that's what you waited for for such a long time, but now I want you to get rid of him, and you're actually going to kill him by your own hand. I don't think that Abraham necessarily wanted that, but as we talked about in the message today, through Abraham's life, through steps of obedience and through steps of growth, he got to that point where he didn't necessarily want to sacrifice his son, but he wanted to obey. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a matter of continual growth and then trusting God in smaller steps, and those smaller steps become a little bit larger and then a little bit larger until we walk in full confidence and saying, yeah, I know this doesn't completely make sense, but I know that God does, and I know if this is what he's asking me to do, I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah and so as Christians, we, God has changed our hearts, sure. right? talked about that recently, very clear. So we do want to be there, but we ain't always feeling it right. yet, right? And so that's, I think you're right, it's, it is a growth process. We take a little step of faith and we discover, sure. well, you know, maybe we fail here, but then we take another step of faith, we keep trying. And then eventually we get to a place where we're experiencing the reality of this and to where we want to do that now. Right. We're in a different place because God has changed us, right? Over time, so. All right, well, thank you, Mike. That was really, really awesome. I think a great start to our Entrusted series. Awesome. And if you have any uh, questions, more questions you want to talk, feel free to talk to Mike, talk to me. Although, as I said earlier, I'm going to head out pretty quick, okay, today. So, all right, um, let's pray. Father, we come to you and thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the source of everything that we have. And here in our country, Lord, we have so much. I pray, Lord, that we would capture... Uh, the heart of what Mike was preaching about today, that we would uh, yield our lives to you. We would see as everything that we have is coming from you and choose to be good stewards and then make those choices along the way, Lord, that are going to grow us until we reach the point where we want to be doing what you've told us to do. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you.